welcome to a new episode of Boutique Digital Marketing, the show that tells you everything you need to know about digital marketing and business development. I'm Rita Sekali, founder of Boutique Digital Marketing, the company and professor of business here in Southern California. Today, you guys, we are going to be talking about five factors that affect demand. We're also going to be talking about things you need to know before making a digital marketing strategy. And lastly, we have an amazing interview for you with Michelle Pearson from Just Like Me Books that is spreading diversity, that is encouraging reading, that is doing really good stuff in the community. This is an episode you don't want to miss, so stay tuned. All right, you guys, so in this segment, we are going to talk about five factors that can affect demand. So you guys, we are in a pandemic. You know this, I know this. The economy has been hit really, really, really bad. People are just not buying as much. You've got uh, stores that are closing left and right, and it's kind of crazy. So the pandemic really just created this kind of domino effect, and to understand this domino effect, we have to understand demand because it's, you know, it's scary to see all these businesses, but we got to know why. Why is this happening? Sure, the pandemic is a major player in this, but what else happens uh, as a result? So we're going to begin with the question, what is demand? So we cannot, you guys, understand factors that affect demand without actually understanding what demand is. So we will begin by defining it. According to Investopedia, demand refers to customers' desire to purchase goods and services at a given price. So basically, we're checking how many people want to buy this particular product at this particular price. And if the price goes higher, are people going to lose interest? Are there more people that are still willing to buy? If it goes lower, are there more people that are willing to buy it versus if it's higher? That, you guys, is demand. And it's also important to know that when we're talking about desire, this includes things that we need. For example, we need to eat, so we have to buy food, right? This is something we need. Um, if you work in a construction company, then you need to buy construction shoes. This is something that you are, you, it's not just about like, I want it, right? This is something you desire to buy for a particular price because you need it. However, um, you may not need uh, the book that you've been wanting to read from Barnes and Nobles, but you want to. So here, desire, when we're talking about desire as part of the definition of demand, we got to know that desire is not just something that we want, it's something that we want and we need. For example, if that book that you've been dying to read is too pricey, then you could probably live without it. So basically, how much are you willing to pay for that book affects the demand on that book. And with that said, you guys, we can establish that one of the first and most important factors that affects demand is obviously 
price. So what does that mean for you as a business owner? You may find it that if you lower your prices, there will be more demand on the product that you're looking to sell. You may even want to monitor how the market is shifting. And if necessary, then you can shift the way you deliver your product and the placement of your product as well, right? So if we understand demand and if we understand how uh, are people, how much of something are people demanding and how are they demanding it, then maybe we can shift our business, you know, delivery mode to fit that ideal. For example, during the pandemic, it was a lot harder for people to actually go shopping. You couldn't go shopping inside a physical store. It was almost everything was on lockdown, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So a lot of stores decided to have an online alternative and um, some closed down their physical locations completely and shifted completely online because that they saw that the demand is there. Some actually incorporated curbside, assist, uh, curbside uh, pickups, and that um, also played a part in continuing the demand for their product versus uh, losing it uh, for something else or losing it to another competitor or so forth. So now let's talk about what are the things that actually affect uh, demand. I, I think, or I thought that price was pretty obvious, so we're kind of not going to go over that one, so we're going to go over things that aren't as clear as price. We are going to begin with number one, which is income, and again, I think income is pretty intuitive. Income, it just greatly affects demand. When you're working and your business is doing great, you feel like you can buy more things that you want and you feel like you can take vacations or you feel like you can do something that you normally wouldn't do, like you splurge a little bit more because, well, you can afford to. So income plays a big factor. And this basically is because you feel like you have more money to spare. So apart from the essential foods that you have to buy to survive, your income level will either increase or decrease the demands that you have for certain goods and products. For example, let's say you want to buy uh, a phone. If you can afford an iPhone that's $1,000, then you can go ahead and buy. You don't feel bad buying that $1,000 iPhone versus if you feel like your budget is a lot less, then maybe you don't want to buy that $1,000 iPhone. Um, maybe you want to buy the $500 um, two or three versions before, right? So that's kind of that. Your income level obviously affects um, what you can and cannot buy and how much demand you have for it and the general income of the entire population, right? If the income levels are dropping, then there might be less demand for certain things. Number two that we have is population size. So you may be thinking that population size would mean that more people equals intuitively just equals more demand, but that is not what we're referring to when we talk about population size in this case. In the case for demand, you guys, population size would determine what kind of product and services would be sold. For example, if the population has a lot more children than any other age group, there will be a higher demand for manufacturing baby bottles or toys. 
if the population has a lot more elderly people, then there might be a higher demand for vans that are designed to facilitate elderly transportation. So what this means for you as a business owner is that based on the population size, you can shift your target audience and tailor your product to fit the needs of the current population size and the demand within that population. And you can also look at projections of what, um, you know, based on census and so forth, what the overall population will be in the next few years so that you can kind of plan ahead in a sense. Number three is competition. And as always in business, you have to keep watch over your competitors. I don't mean like watch them like a hawk. You don't have to be that, you know, that creep kind of watching over, uh, <laughs> peeping through the window. That's not what we mean. But uh, so needless to say, really, you guys, that competition has a big influence on demand. Um, you should look into what your competitors are doing, but don't beat yourself over it. Uh, so in the case of demand, if you change your prices, then your com competition may be a good substitute for your product or service. For example, if your competitor drops their prices, then their demand might increase. And as a result of their demand increase, your demand or the demand on your product might actually decrease. So as a business owner, it's important to keep in mind that competition may also affect the demand on your product or uh, service as a business owner. Number four, you guys, we have taste or preference. So if there is a change in taste or preference, there might be a change in demand on a particular product or a particular service. Here's my example. The demand on dairy product has significantly decreased as the demand on non-dairy substitutes increased. So the more non-dairy milk, there are more non-dairy milk today, like almond milk, like soy, like oat, like coconut, right? That act as a substitute for milk. And as a result, the demand for milk actually decreased and shifted because the taste or the preference of the con uh, of the consumer shifted as well, right? So because of that, because of taste or preference, there was a shift in demand. So as a business owner, what you need to look for is figuring out how the how and where the market is trending. Is there going to be a demand on this particular product or service that you are selling in the next five years? Is it going to increase? Is it going to decrease? Whatever the case is, you've got to survive or adapt or die, basically, right? To survive. That's what they, you know, that's a very popular saying in business, adapt or die. So... You've got to look at the trends and how things, the taste or the preferences are changing. Last thing we have, which is number five, you guys, is expectation. This is something that we saw clearly at the beginning of COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, you guys, you guys remember this. Um, honestly, it doesn't. It's not that long ago. It seems like it is, uh, but it, but it's not. Uh, people went out and bought 
toilet paper. They bought cleaning products and like they were just kind of like hoarding or, you know, just went out into all the supermarkets. You'd go and there were shelves that were empty that previously had cleaning supplies. They had toilet paper. They had Kleenex and so forth. So, oh, look at the how great branding is. Totally off topic, but how great branding is that anytime most of us refer to a tissue paper, we end up saying Kleenex. That's branding done right, you guys. Anyhow, so back to our topic. You've got expectations. And um, so people expected that these products are going to be harder to come by and they were very much needed as a result of the pandemic because people needed to clean more people needed clean services service surfaces there we go um and so as a result the demand for such supplies really it just skyrocketed so what people expect that will happen or what people assume will happen, whether it is a drop in price or a significant event that's going on or that's going to take place, like the pandemic or like a hurricane or like um, some big event that's preventing them from getting certain products, that can drive up demand for certain products. So to recap, my beautiful people, five factors that affect demand that we talked about today were income, population size, competition, taste or preference, and expectations. Of course, of course, you guys, there are other factors that could affect demand. However, for our purposes for today, we kind of chose, or I chose the most prominent of these factors and so forth. All right, you guys, so in the next segment, we are going to talk about things to know before making a digital marketing strategy or writing a digital marketing strategy or implementing your strategies. These are just things to keep in the back of your mind as you begin working on this wonderful document. So stay tuned for the upcoming segment. Alright, you guys, so in this segment, we are going to talk about things to know before making a digital marketing strategy. And I know, you guys, digital marketing has a lot of new and fancy tools that you want to explore and you want to implement, and it's really exciting to see what technology is doing, but... Before we do that, let's get back to the basics in one of the most and uh, most fundamental notions of digital marketing and digital marketing or just marketing really in general is a creation of marketing strategy, which I highly, 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 highly for another emphasis, one more time for emphasis, highly recommend that you do, which is create a marketing strategy. Now, in this podcast, we're going to talk about the five P's of marketing. We're going to talk about environmental segments. We're going to talk about your target market. And we're going to talk about finding your competitive advantage. Let's begin first by defining what is a marketing strategy. And as we said, you guys, in another podcast, a strategy is a series of choices that are made with the intention of solving a particular problem or reaching a particular goal. In this case, the particular goals are geared towards marketing. When creating, you guys, a digital marketing strategy, 
There are five focus points that can help make your life a lot easier. And these are the product, price, place, promotion, and people. Collectively, they make up what is known as the five P's of marketing, which makes up what is known as a marketing mix. So the marketing mix is what the marketer, or you in this case, if you're running your own business, would use to develop a marketing or a market and market, sorry, develop and market your products. So let's take a closer look. We've got product and price. And as is the common knowledge, the product is the item or service that you're selling. And, um, you know, obviously it could be something physical, um, like a cute little coffee mug, or it could be a service like an hour of therapy. The price you know, as you know, is what is the exchange that you're asking for as a result of selling your product or your service. Pretty intuitive. Now that moves us on to the, uh, or P number three, which is place, because obviously we did product and price together, right? And those were the first two. Now we have place. And place may not be as intuitive as product or price, and it refers to how the product is getting from your business to the client. This includes, you guys, things like transportation, time, quantity, logistics, distribution channels. For example, if you're selling products online, you would have to think about whether you're selling your products through your own online store or through Amazon or Shopify or something big like these two. With this P, basically you're answering the who, what, where, and when of the product placement. Number four is promotion. And this is the way that you use to get information to the consumer in order to facilitate and influence their purchase behavior. It's just promoting you guys, right? Your ads and so forth. This is uh, this could be done in several ways, and we've talked about some of them before. But uh, a really good way of doing this is incorporating your own earned and paid media. And I believe this was one of the very first episodes that we did from Boutique Digital Marketing. We talked about these things. So you might want to check that one out if you're a little bit fuzzy on these three. And number five, um, people. And people is the last of the five Ps. And it's basically using talents and expertise of people within the organization to develop and market your product and services. And these, you guys, and knowing these five elements can help you basically compartmentalize your marketing effort by providing categories to focus on so that you're not um, focusing all over the place so that you understand how these things work together, integrate them together so that you can create a better uh, marketing strategy. So now we have environmental factors and apart from the five marketing P's or the five P's of marketing, there are other factors that should be considered when creating a digital marketing strategy. And these are environmental factors that you should be on the lookout for. They are generally composed of six categories. These are demographic, cultural, economic, political, uh, competitive, and technological. Demographics, when creating a digital marketing strategy, demographic segmentation would take into account things like 
age, things like gender. Uh, it would also include things like housing location versus work location. What are you trying to sell to whom? Okay. Um, then we have culture. So culture really would look at the behaviors that are associated with specific cultures, with specific values, trends, and the like. Next, we have economics, and the that would be really the income would be the primary focus in this case. And you want to ask yourself, are the targeted customers employed? If so, what is their average income? Can they afford my products and services? Who is it tailored towards? And what does their economic status look like? Number four would be political. And these segmentations would be uh, something like political affiliations, uh, changes in laws, changes in uh, political movements, and so forth, right? These would be things that you'd have to consider when um, you are creating your digital marketing strategy. You'd have to integrate them, and uh, you'd have to be aware of these changes, whether you're integrating them or not, whether they affect your marketing efforts or not uh, based on your product and your product development and your product placement. And then we have the uh, competitive, uh, which is what's new with the competition, right? Are there any new shifts? Are there strong competitors coming about? So you have to just be aware of that. You have to be of your, aware of your strength and your weaknesses. How does it compare to others? Where do you lack? Where are they uh, proceeding and so forth? And lastly, last of my wonderful, wonderful six categories is technological. What are the technological available advances and how are they available in your field? How are they being used? And can you integrate new technology into your field? Maybe there's something that you'd have to think outside of the box. Maybe there's something that is being used for something different and now is being used for a completely um, useful thing in your business. For example, a few weeks ago, I think on one of our episodes, we interviewed uh, two gentlemen that were working on a company or had founded a company that uses UV technology to... Uh, basically take out all the diseases, including COVID-19 from places that are uh, within um, like churches, like hospitals, like um, uh, any place where people congregate together, malls, stores, um, schools. So uh, they worked on in taking that technology from hospitals, taking that from surgical rooms and making that technology available to people. So maybe that's something that you can use. Maybe that's something that you, there's a technology out there that could be integrated into your business and you don't even know until you actually start making your digital marketing strategy. So be aware of these things. The next thing you want to do or you want to know before making a digital marketing strategy is defining the target market. Both the five P's and the environmental factors should come together to help you identify and to help you clarify your target market. The target market, you guys, is an important factor. So who's your target market? Your target market is the specific group of people that you are looking to sell to. These are people within an overall market that you are looking to focus on. So 
you guys, for example, I think we kind of used this earlier in the first segment, but uh, for our purposes, okay, I think it kind of works for this one too. Cell phone market is huge. Within that market, there are people that are buying smartphones for $1,000, $1,500. Some are buying smartphones that are $200. Some companies uh, target those who are able to buy the $1,000 phone. And some target those that are, can only buy the or can only afford the $200 phone, while other targets those in between. So even though this overall market is huge, different companies target different parts of the market. The lesson here is that you don't have to focus on everything within the market, but on a specific target. So like one thing I hear a lot uh, when people when I talk to people about business um, is that business owners, they come and say, oh, well, my product could benefit everybody. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure, you know, everyone can benefit from your product, but you've got to focus on a particular target market. You can't service anybody, everybody, otherwise you end up servicing nobody. So you got to be more specific. All right. Now we have um, to create a competitive advantage. You have to have a competitive advantage. And once you know who your market is, then you know who your potential client is. And here's the thing, so do your competitors. They also are striving to get that same potential client. So in order to place yourself in a position that is more advantageous than that of your client, you have to find your competitive advantages. And competitive advantages are features that your company has that puts you at a higher position than your competitors when the customer is more likely to choose your brand. And that's what you want, right? You want them to choose your brand over the other brands. That's obviously what makes you competitively more advantaged. So there are four types of these competitive advantages that you could leverage to place yourself um, above your um, above your competitors. These are uh, costs, they are product, service, uh, service differentiation, and niche. Let's talk about cost. How low can you go? Can you go down low? All right, so how low can you go? Cost, uh, competitive advantage. Basically, you guys, if ref refers to how low you can go with your prices for your product and services while still making that money, right? You still want to make enough profit. You still want to be above your uh, margin. So, but you also want to place yourself in a place that is more competitively advantaged with in terms of pricing. So if you're probably selling a product that could mean um, getting raw materials for cheaper, if you can do that and lower the price of your product, that would be that would be that might be a good thing. Next, we have product and service differentiation, and you may be offering a product. Uh, that is similar or a service that is similar to that of your competitor. But, but you need to have some attributes that will set you completely apart so that you're not easy to replicate so that there's something 
that is different about your product or about your service. For example, if you are selling a product, then you can differentiate yourself through durabilities, through product reliability. These are both really important things that may set you apart um, from your competitors. If you're offering a service, your service could be excellent. You can create a delightful, amazing customer experience that is super worthy of praise and that keeps people coming back because you're so kind to them. And lastly, we have uh, the niche, and that is the competitive advantage that allows you to excel at a specific type of work for a particular market. Remember, remember, you guys, we said that you don't want to do, um, you don't want to service everyone at the same time. This is because you can't, right? Um, some people can, but they're huge, huge companies. But for our purposes. Uh, we want to focus on a particular market or at least start there. So for small businesses that are facing large competitors, this is one of the best options to, to learn something and become really, 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 really good at it. And these are some, you guys, of the things that you need to know before making your digital marketing strategy. Once you have a clear understanding of these elements, you can then integrate them into your marketing strategy in order to make it more effective. Isn't that amazing, you guys? Wouldn't that be lovely? Okay, so that's all I have to say about the uh, things that you need to know before making a digital marketing strategy. Um, stay tuned for our next interview, which is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview with Michelle Person with her books. She's going to tell us all about her company, Just Like Me Books. Stay tuned. What is up, everybody? Okay, so welcome to today's segment, uh, interview segment. I have a really cool guest for you and the initiative of her business. Oh my God, so sweet, so kind. And I'm really excited to talk to her about her business. My guest today is Michelle Person and she's just, what she's doing, y'all, is just absolutely amazing. The business is called Read Just Like Me or just like me books. And we are going to get to know this business with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing today? Hi. Hi, Rita. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Thank you for being on my show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. You, what you're doing is just, what you're doing is awesome. So tell me a little bit about just like me books, and then uh, we can talk a little bit on business. Sure. So Just Like Me Books is a multimedia production and design company. And our goal is to get as many books with diverse characters into the hands of children as we possibly can. Um, it, it's a, it's a, a mission that's close to my heart. I have three children. I'm an educator for 20, over 20 years now. Um, and it's ironic. Like, I love to read, but it's really hard sometimes to get kids interested in reading, especially when the characters and the stories do not represent them. If you can get a kid to find themselves in a story, you're most more likely to find that kid be willing to want to try to read. Um, and then once that happens, just 
doors open up in terms of opportunities, in terms of options that the kid has, um, you know, in, in, in the world. And I think there's many, many a study that if you can't read by third or fourth grade, the likelihood that you're going to go end up in prison, um, especially for young boys and uh, boys of color. Um, I mean, it's been statistically proven, you know, it, it is it is a huge factor in determining the success of, of, of children and, and adults. So we try to make sure that um, the that whatever they're reading interests them so that we can increase those literacy rates. I love that. I love it. And I'm looking a little bit on your website and you're talking about like uh, on the about uh, section, there is a study in uh, or some kind of a study where 2016 there were 3,400 books that were published. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about what happened when you saw that statistics? Um, it, it was actually that statistic was one that my brother-in-law, who is a librarian, gave me. Um, so the story of just like me books is a little bit like I was I was writing just uh, books. I always loved reading, and it never honestly occurred to me that most of the characters in my stories did not look like me but that was okay with me um girl me too (laughs) yes because like i just love i i love the stories it never occurred to me to be searching for characters Mm. that look like me and i wrote a book as a gift i I, because i'm a nerd and that's what nerds do we Mm. write books as gifts and um my brother-in-law when i shared the book with him said oh my god that's so amazing he said um because you know out of all of the books written last year you know there are there are very few with uh with, with characters diverse from a diverse background, and when he said he sh- and he shared that statistic with me, and so then I looked it up, and then from there you just kind of fall down a rabbit hole, um, you know, because the statistics are are overwhelming. You know, most kids are more likely to see a talking elephant than they are to see a a, a, a character of Asian descent. You know, I mean the, the the stats are are unbelievable. Let so me- from there. Sorry, let me run the numbers for the people because I think I'm looking at it. I don't know if you're looking at the statistics at the same time, uh, but uh, so just so people get an idea, um, there's 8.4% of kids' books feature African-American main character. Uh, You have 7% feature an Asian main character, 5% had a Latino main character, and 3% had, uh, or less than 1%, sorry, had featured an American Indian uh, as mm-hmm. as a main character, mm-hmm. so uh, those are those are the numbers we're looking at. Uh, go ahead and uh, continue what you were talking about. I just wanted to make sure that people got the same picture that we are looking at as well. Correct. So those numbers, I mean, so, you know, you, you talk about a piece of a pie, right? So, and mm. the easiest way that I explain it is like, you know, there are a hundred pieces in a pie. Eight out of a hundred pieces, only eight of those pieces are brown. You know, seven are, are mm-hmm. so eight pieces are African-American, seven pieces are Latino, and one piece is Native American. The rest of the pie is is Caucasian. And, you know, and, and that, that means that most, um, the, so even though um, Native Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans make up a significant more, por- a significant portion of the pie in general in society, they're not seeing themselves reflected at the same rate that they make up um, a portion of society. So it is so important for children to be able to see, so they can imagine what they can be. The mm-hmm. tagline for just like me is, if, if I can see it, I um, if I can see if I can see it, I can believe it. Um, you can't. It's so hard to try to teach a child abstractly what they can be when they grow up if they've never seen an example 
of what they what somebody who looks like them can be when they grow up. It's you know, if all they see around them is one image, they can't possibly imagine that they can be something else. Um, it's so so that's what just like me books does. We try to make sure that there are as many different images, positive images um, for children of color um, as there are for non-children of color. Um, and it's very important, obviously, for non-children, for children who are not of color to see those images as well, because some people do live in spaces where that is all they see and all, the, all they know of someone who's not of color is what they see in the media. And if every mm. single representation is negative, the one time you run a, a, across someone who doesn't look like you, you are immediately going to think something's wrong with that person because that's all you've ever seen. So, I mean, it's a mission that's not just for children of color. It's for everyone. Um, and that's it. why I try to make sure that I, I get across to people. Hey, I think this is incredible. And I really do think that there are a lot of negative images out there that really break down we so when you earlier t- started talking about uh, boys of color that usually end up in prison, well, that's the image they they see in the media, yeah, of, of themselves, and it's very sad. Do you think that um, it could be because there aren't uh, people of color writing? Well, yeah. so it's honestly what I find is there's lots of us writing. Um, we're not getting published. Mm. Um, so that's, that's another, that's a whole, that's a conversation I've had to have uh, so many times in the many of my author groups and business groups. Um, we are writing, we are just not getting published. And that's a whole different, a whole different, um, a whole different show. Um, mm. But what I, what I do find is um, the going the independent publishing route does allow for a little bit more freedom. Um, the independent publishing route for authors is what uh, it's kind of what Napster did for the record industry in the early 2000s. It's, mm. it's breaking the doors wide open and allowing for there to be more representation in the marketplace. Mm. And uh, tell me a little bit more about what exactly do you do through your company? So through my company, we do a, a, a couple of different things. Um, the first thing we do, obviously, is get diverse literature into the hands of children. And we do that um, by working directly with schools, parents, and community organizations. Um, in addition to, you know, promoting our books and, and working with schools to get our books into into schools and libraries and things like that, um, we also provide professional development workshops um, on, you know, inc- um, inclusiveness, um, you know, diversity, and, and how why it's important to the classroom, um, reading strategies. We do a lot of parent workshops, um, you know, teaching parents how to take uh, diverse books, but also be able to use those diverse books and, and, and teach their children strategies to help them become better reading, better readers, ultimately raising the literacy rate. Um, I do support authors, um, other independent authors to help them um, to, to get to get them out there and market their books better to schools. Uh, we write, we help write um, curriculum guides for um, for authors to, to go along with their books so that they are better able to market themselves um, when they go to try to get into a school or a, or a community or work with a community organization. So those are um, uh, some of the things that, that we work on uh, at Just Like Me. That's brilliant. 
Do you find that uh, when we're talking about writers, like maybe they they feel like they're not sufficient in, you know, uh, if they haven't published books before, maybe they feel like they're not sufficient and they need that support. Um, Do you find that through Just Like Me, they're able to further connect with their goal and how? If so, then how? So most definitely, I think that when people happen upon us, it's like in the middle of a journey that they've been, they've been going through blind almost. And the one thing that I wanted to do in terms of authors was definitely be a a beacon of support. When I started, it was very hard to sift through everything that was out there. Um, There's a lot of bad information. There's a lot of good information. But at the end of the day, there's just a lot of information. And when you're a single individual, one single person without a machine, behind you um, it's sometimes just just figuring out what's good information and what's bad information is um, is, it's time-consuming before you can even act on the information you first have to figure out what's good and what's bad and what's gonna work for you and what's not and and so what I find is that authors are are really interested in connecting and networking um, so that we can share those best practices among ourselves but that's been very very powerful um, you know, just being able to build that network of people who um, who are able to help sift through the mountain of information that is out there. So they still publish their books independently, correct? Or is it, do you help them with the publishing process or have you become, have you shifted through the years to become a publishing house? So no, we're, my, my, um, the, the, the majority of our work, the authors that come to us, they are, they're already published. We are just a, a, another platform through which they can um, sell their wares. Um, we with the with the curriculum guys we we're offer we offer support and uh, so when you go to a large publishing house the mm-hmm. publishing house from beginning to end the one so the, uh, the the thing that's good about a publishing house is they have a hand at every part of the development from the very beginning to the very very end to down to the color the packaging of what your book's going to look like how your book's going to be promoted what su- supplemental materials are going to be presented with your book um, what audiences you're going to go to how it's going to be formatted laid out what images are going to be in it that's that is definitely 100% a benefit of going through a a big box company um, so when you do do the independent route um, the each each step in that process is a is is a is a whole beast unto itself so just like me's niche if you will and that step in, in the pro, in the machine process is towards the end when you are when you have your book your book is published it's already put together it's laid out you found your illustrator all of that's done and you're looking to grow your market. Um, and you grow your market through networking with other individuals who are like-minded like you and, and building a diverse platform where people can come and find you and also helping you market yourself better because a, a lot, there's many, one of the best ways to get in um, to be able to promote yourself is when you have a captive audience. And how where, where else do you have a captive audience but a schoolhouse from eight to three you know, five days mm-hmm. a week. So if we can help you get into one of the most um, captive audiences out there that has buying power, um, you know, that definitely helps you grow as an author. So those are the two areas where we specialize in helping to pe- helping get people out there. 
Brilliant. Uh, what were some of the challenges you faced as an author? Because you said that you're an author yourself as well. I am. I've written five books uh, right now. Um, and I, for me, what was what was challenging was the initial setup was very challenging. But as with most things in life, once you do it one or two times, you kind of figure it out. So the, at the beginning, it really was the sifting through that information and trying to figure out, well, how exactly do you independently publish a book? Do I need to buy an ISBN or can I use a free ISBN? And how do I get my book listed in the Library of Congress? Is that a thing? Do I need to do that? Well, I have the book, but I can't draw. How do I get my pictures? How do I how, like? How do I put the pictures on the page so that like it looks like a regular book that you would buy at Barnes and Noble? All of those things are things that um, that we 100% um, that, that was very difficult for me in the beginning. Um, and that's information that I don't think anybody should charge for. And I don't charge for them. That's where the network part comes from. Um, you know, once the network is there, um, we, we work together and, and share resources among ourselves. Um, because that information is just that it's free information. And I know other people, you know, pay, may have people pay them to, to get, to get that information that I, I feel like I wish somebody had taken the opportunity and shared those beginning steps with me, um, you know, and, and, and maybe I could have gone through the process faster. So um, for me, the business side was the, the beginning was the hardest part. But after you get the beginning part, you find that, wow, I understand how to make the product. Now I've got to figure out how to move the product. That mm. is where the idea of this, this building this platform where uh, individual authors can come together and, and grow and promote each other came from. Um, because that is the, you can have great, there's lots of people who have great products, but they can't move it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where, that's where we, that's where just like me comes in. We want to make sure we're, we're, we're uh, growing our platform so that we are a one-stop shop for people looking for diverse books. That's our goal. That's a beautiful goal. And I'm, you know, I'm loving everything that you're talking about. I think it's very brilliant. And I, what I want to ask you, one is where can they find these resources that you're talking about? Do they give you a call? Do they talk to someone or is it online? Definitely. So if they want, if um, there is a, on my website, uh, read just like me books.com. So it's read R E A D. Uh, and then just like me books.com um, at the bottom of the, the landing page, there's a contact and uh, a contact me button. They fill that out. They can contact me and let me know which of the services they're interested in. Are, are you a principal looking to bring more diverse books into your and programming into your schools? <clears throat> are you a parent, you know, looking to find uh, to build your child's library? Are you an author who is looking for, for additional supplemental resources. So it, whichever uh, title is you, you just uh, fill out the box at the bottom of the page, or you can email me directly at Michelle at just at read just like me books.com. So it's Michelle M I C H E L L E at read just like me books.com. So either way is a great way to contact me. Or you can like us on Facebook and I, Which, and message me and I do I message I we I are respond. going to, we're going to talk about those in a minute we're going to do all the handles uh, at the end of the show but my uh, my question really was targeted towards um, the resources that you were talking about the free resources um, of how to start developing the book 
where can they find those? Um, so is it it's more, those are more of a com- so those are more of a like you you would reach out and we and we would schedule a consultation for a conversation. Perfect. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And do you charge like a flat fee or do you tra- how do you how does the services how do they pay for the services? Um, for the information in terms of the resources, that's no like said, the that's, the actual services. Oh, the actual services. So for the if you are a if you're an author and you're um and you are interested in a guide, um, our guides start at uh, four hundred dollars for um your uh, general um thirty two page picture book, um and so and they, those are cross curricular guides. Um, that um, that you get, that get that you can take and you can promote with your books that allows you uh, another level of marketability within schools. Um, the our our different workshops are that for parents and organizations and community groups. Those it, it really depends on what the organization is looking for. Uh, we've done single standalone, you know, one time only workshops, and we've also developed workshop series where we've come back over the course of three or four months to help develop um, a particular skill or, um, uh, or, or a theme with a, with a group. So those, that pricing, it completely depends on what the organization is looking for. How effective do you find these uh, workshops in terms of like the, uh, the readers, you know, interest, furthering their interest in reading and seeing themselves as the picture? I think that there are the kids when they first off with the, I, the, the, the beautiful part about the workshops is they also get to meet the author. So it is, um, it, it is amazing when kids are able to say, wait, you wrote this, this book right here that I have in my hand. Um, That's and so they, cute, they, yeah. they, they love that. Um, and when they, when they're, when, it's, when they're flipping through the books, it's so, it's amazing to have them say, Hey, that's how my hair looks when I get out the tub. You know, if you look at the adventures mm. of the kind of daddy man, when she gets out the tub, her hair is all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And I had one little girl tell me, you know, my hair does that when it gets wet. Um, you know, that's and, cute. Yeah. You know, and that's that level. And so she wanted to, she wanted to read the story because she could relate to the character in the little, in the poofy hair. Um, and, and so you, you find that they 100% want to sit and they want to read those books over and over. And any teacher will tell you the, the way to become a better reader is just practice. And yes. even if, and so for all you parents out there, if your child wants to listen to a story 700 times, let them listen to the story 700 times. It's annoying for you. And I have, I, have, I am guilty of hiding books myself because um, I was tired <laughs> of reading the same book over and over. But the educator in me knows that that means they're learning. That means Absolutely. that they, they are taking it in and, they, and, they're, and they're engaged. And you want that. So I find that when they can open a book and see themselves or see a representation of themselves, um, it, it 100% makes all the difference in the level of excitement that they begin to feel about reading. I, I love it. I love that you mentioned about the hair. Um, one thing, personal anecdote time. One thing that, that like what you're saying really stuck with me because when I was a kid, I have really, really curly hair and it's really puffy mm-hmm. and it's really big. And if you watch TV, everyone's hair is straight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, and it still bothers me till today. I'm like, why aren't these people letting others have curly hair? 
next to the beach like who no i can't be next to the beach without it puffing i don't understand what you're doing yes definitely so it was it was a happy day for me when she when when that was what she pointed out like i definitely that made me feel good it's it's really cool to be able to see oh actually it's working like there is a reflection there is something you can relate to because honestly like if you you've probably went through the same thing i I assume you do you also have curly hair uh, you were yeah, talking yeah, about something that being puffy. Yeah. yeah, so you probably saw it on TV or in books or, uh, you know, somewhere along the line. You're like, huh, I'm, I like the story, but nothing, this doesn't look like me or this doesn't, I cannot yeah. relate. I, so, I tell people all the time that um, that the re- I was obsessed with Sesame Street, not because the Muppets, uh, you know, were great or anything like that. It was, it was because Maria's, Maria's hair looked like my mom's hair. Maria oh, that's was so cool. <laughs> And she and the way she wore her hair, it wasn't it wasn't an afro, but it wasn't straight. And I remember I was like, oh my god, my mom's hair. That was my mom's hair, and that was <laughs> the only character on TV that remotely had hair like my mom. Um, so it was huge for me. That I mean, so to this day, I'm the biggest Sesame Street fan. But it was because of Maria. <laughs> That's insane. Like, really, these are details that we generally don't think about. But when it comes to business, I think you you did great. You found a wonderful niche. And I think it's uh, it's just brilliant that you're able to grow it and you're able to focus on particular communities that you feel like, mm-hmm. oh, like this is more engaging. Yeah. Do you get feedback from parents? All the time. What do they say? Yeah, um, they, they definitely, they say, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I've been looking for um, a positive. Right? So I have two series myself personally. Um, mm-hmm. And one of them is about a, a Kai and Kai and, the, and her daddy man. And she's a story about a little girl and she's silly and she's fun and all of that. Um, but my other series is about uh, a young man named um, Nathaniel English. Uh, he's loosely based on my nephew. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, they, they 100% are, it's a, a positive story story about a a young man who's learning history um while he's problem solving um on you know in his everyday life so mm. parents are 100 percent just happy to have a character that looks like their kid that teaches them a little bit of history that is a positive representation and shows problem solving skills so they mm. you know they're like we, we read this book over and over again because I, I i've been trying to get them to understand see how he was being proactive and he saw a problem and he tried to fix it. And he didn't wait for mommy. You know, it, it, it helps um, the parents like that, that, that those messages are there com, com, uh, combined with the imagery. So it's a, it's a, I think I found a winning, a winning success there, a winning, um, uh, a, a winning way to put it all together. I love it. Was there a reason why you chose books over video Knowing, you know, that maybe in today's age, video is a big thing. You could have, you know, got to the same uh, concept of changing the image or challenging the current image that's out there in the media by using video. So why books over over other mediums? Because the teacher and me just wouldn't let me. Um, I, I know we are. I, I read books on my phone on my, all, all the time, and I resisted for a long time. But I have many a book on my Kindle. I read them when I'm when I'm in the grocery store or you know getting my hair done. Um, but the reality is, little people 
they need to touch and feel books. There's a lot of research. I saw I read a great article um, of what happens in a child's brain when they hold a book and they see the pictures and they're, you know, turning the pages. It, it, it is a very different experience and they're more of their brain is active and thinking and engaged than when you're watching a video. Um, you know, and so it was a very conscious decision. Books that, I mean, don't get me wrong. Videos have their place. Digital media has its place. Um, and, and definitely to respond to and in addition to and to supplement, but you, you cannot replace a, a, a physical book. Um, and that's just the, the educator in me. You cannot, you cannot replace a physical book. Brilliant. Just, just so you know, I don't think most people who are listening to my show actually know this. Uh, apart from my MBA and my business stuff, I actually have a master's in education and teaching. So like you, I, I totally agree. It's like inside me. I totally agree with everything that you're saying. I'm like, no, I need to get books. <laughs> they need to read this. Yes. So, mm-hmm. I love it. Is there, um, is there an advice that you'd give authors out there that are trying to work through? So my advice to authors overall, I think my advice to authors overall is the one piece of advice that when I, um, when I talk to other authors and when I talk to authors, is just keep writing. Um, don't let anybody tell you that you can't, your book can't be published because it can. Um, so, and if you have an idea, write about it. If you have a thought, write about it. If you, if you have something you want to say or a stand you want to take, write about it. Um, and, and there's no, there's no right way to do it. Just do it. Like, like the, like Nike says, honestly, that's the best advice. You just, just do, do it. it. Um, that's, that is my, that's my best advice for authors. And also don't let anybody tell you that you have to pay to publish your book because that like that, that is categorically, categorically untrue. There are, um, in terms of, Hey, we'll publish your book for you. You pay us up front. no. Don't do that. That mm-hmm. I don't care how many Better Business Bureau Google searches you do. Um, a true publishing company, they pay you to publish a book. You do not pay them. So those are the two big pieces of advice. Just do it and do not pay anyone to publish, air quote, your book. If, if someone says to you, give me money and I will publish your book for you, they are not the company for you. Wow. That is, you know, I've never really looked into publishing, so that's uh, that's a very interesting take on it. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people don't think about it when they grab a book, when they, you know. So it's it's very cool to be able to be able to see that. I mean, the reality is, if you think about it, that's what most people say about lots of stuff. So uh, a model, if a modeling agency, if a, if a true modeling agency is interested in you. You do not give them money up front. They book you and then they get paid off of booking you. Any modeling agency that comes to you and says, hey, you want to be a model? Give me $2,000 and I'll get you all these jobs. Don't ever do it. It's a scam. Yeah, it's a scam. And I think, yeah, it, and the same thing applies in, in this industry. That's crazy. Anyhow, that was amazing. I love, I love what you're doing. I, you know, if, uh, what are the names of your books? What's the name of your series? If people want to look for um, it. So the kind of daddy man series, um, has two, uh, the adventures of kind of the daddy man. 
and uh, Kai and the Daddy Man, The Adventures Continue. Um, we are, the third book is under development right now, um, working, it's uh, going to be about Kai and her daddy man as they go through the different holidays. So that book is, uh, is in development right now. And the other series uh, is the Nathaniel English series, and that's the series with, uh, oh, for, for older children, um, between um, 8 and 10, 8 and 11. Um, and it's a series about a young man who is going through regular, everyday, nine-year-old problems, and his mother relates, uses a lot of history, African-American history, to guide him through his decision-making and, and, and teach him lessons on the way. So there is the king of video games, which is the story of Mansa Musa, who was the richest man in Africa, or the richest man who ever lived, mm-hmm. period. There is the story, uh, Life of a Panther, which is the story of Huey P. Newton, uh, founder of the Black Panther Party. Um, and the, the newest book that came out actually in February, um, the newest release is um, uh, Leaders of the Revolution, which tells the story of Toussaint Louis-Avature, the leader of the Haitian Revolution, the first successful um, slave rebellion in, in the Western Hemisphere. So wow. those are the three, those are the three uh, books in the Nathaniel English series. That's that's brilliant. Like I love stories that no one really points to, so it's it's really cool. Thank you. And this is like a genuine reaction. Sometimes I say things and I'm like, hmm. But no, this is I really I 100% mean this. Uh, <laughs> these are very interesting topics and just brilliant. Uh, if They're people very wanna, purposeful. Yes, yes. I love history lessons to begin with. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. like on a personal level, I like reading history. I like reading about um, learning from the past because I think a lot of people don't. But yes, history yes. truly repeats itself. Mm-hmm. It's very cyclical. Oh, yeah. I've I've been um, – one of the books that I absolutely love is um, The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those um, really deep philosophy books. But as I was reading, it talked about like the Roman culture and so forth. And I, I could not help but see the parallels in today's society. I'm like, this is crazy. This was happening like in the year 300. Yes. Yeah. Insane. Yes. So uh, tell me, uh, I know we were talking a little bit about your website. Tell me where they can find you, where can they find you on social media uh, and so forth so that they can, people can connect with you. So on Twitter and um, Facebook, it's read, it's uh, at read just like me. Um, and on Instagram, it's actually uh, just like me books. So um, it's uh, so read just like me on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter and on IG, it's at just like me books. Um, and so we, we post and where you can reach out, um, contact us through, through there as well. We're very responsive and we tend to respond within 24 hours. Brilliant. And if you guys want to, thank you so much uh, for being with me, Michelle. It was brilliant to have you. I love the initiative that you're doing. Uh, Keep it going. Keep on uh, going strong. And if you guys want to connect with me, um, personally, you can do that at the work with Rita on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. You can also, if you want to connect with Boutique Digital Marketing and talk about business and keep this conversation going, you can do that on facebook.com slash Boutique Digital Marketing on Instagram at Boutique Digital Marketing on, um, where are we? Facebook, uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. everything basically at Boutique Digital Marketing. Oh, on our website, boutique digital marketing.com. And if you want to email us at info at Boutique Digital Marketing, 
I've said boutique digital marketing like 20 times, but y'all get the point. It's boutique digital marketing, info at boutique digital marketing.com. And you can call us at 909-333-5116. That's it for today. Thank you again, Michelle, for being with us. And thank you guys for listening. I will be with you next week with a new episode.